Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good to see so many folks here on the 74th of January, as Pastor Christina described it. Um, the fourth Sunday of the year, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, it looked like um, a, a nice uh, winter day, um, and so I, I hope everybody's enjoying the beginning of the day and the beginning of the week. Uh, learned some things today. Learned where the birthday candles came from. Uh, thank you, Pastor Hope, for that. And we, uh, we've already remarked about the duet, but Julia arranged that last piece, that last um, piece on Amazing Grace. What an amazing rendition that was. And she was not only the player, but the creator. So, yeah. Thank you, Julia, for sharing your talent with us. Our message today, our scripture anyway, comes from the prophet Isaiah. We're at chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. And these are verses that we usually read at Advent, so so interesting to hear it again just a few weeks after Advent and Christmas. Isaiah says, But there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank you for each new day. And Lord, as morning has broken on this day, we ask that the light will shine into our hearts and that we might reflect it to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a child, I had a unique way of positioning myself for sleep. I would lie on my stomach, which was, you know, a lot flatter back in those days, and I would make sure that no part of my body, not an arm, nor a leg, nor an elbow, nor a kneecap, not a finger or a little tiny toe would hang over the edge of the bed. I did that to make sure that the monster that lived under my bed wouldn't be able to grab me and pull me down into his lair and eat me. Now, I knew the monster was there. My Aunt Carolyn told me he was there, and she wouldn't lie about something like that. I mean, people don't lie about serious stuff, especially kinfolk. Some grown-ups seem to get a perverse sort of pleasure from scaring the daylights out of children. You ever known anybody like that? For me, it was Aunt Carolyn. God love her. She has so many wonderful qualities, and I love her dearly, but the woman could teach a class on how to scare children. And she's the one who convinced me that there was a monster that lived under my bed. But it wasn't just my bed. Oh, no, that'd be too easy to solve. I could just change rooms with my sister. But no, Aunt Carolyn convinced me that every bed had a monster living under it, and any or all of them just love to eat little children. You know, to this day, if I go to a hotel, I make sure that no part of me is hanging over the edge of the bed, (laughs) which is a whole lot harder to do now because I'm a lot bigger. And it's silly. Monsters, darkness, closets. You know, that's where the trolls live, in the closets. (laughs) 
You know, I'm not talking about those cute little fuzzy-headed ones that can't stop the feeling in those animated movies. I'm talking about the mean, ugly ones from the fairy tales, you know, the child-eating trolls. Another gift from my Aunt Carolyn. <laughs> things that go bump in the night, the wild, uncontrollable things, the scary things. A child's fear of the dark is one of the most universal, persistent, and widely exploited fears of all time. Because darkness is where the wild things are, where terrible, ugly, scary creatures lurk, just waiting for us to become vulnerable by lying down and falling asleep. And parents aren't much help sometimes either, right? Even when we're trying to be helpful. What's the first nighttime prayer we teach our children? Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake... What? What? If I should die before I wake, that's what we're teaching our kids? What is going to happen to me that's going to keep me from waking up in the morning? It's the monsters, isn't it? Or the trolls. I played a lot of baseball as a kid, and so I bought this Los Angeles Dodgers baseball helmet. It hung on a coat rack on the other side of the room with my jackets and some other baseball caps. And I tell you, on nights when I couldn't sleep, if there was enough moonlight coming through the curtains, that coat rack with the helmet on it looked just like Darth Vader inside my room. Isn't it odd the places and situations that look innocent enough in the light of day end up being places of sheer terror in the darkness of night? In the daytime, under the bed is where you stuff toys and shoes and chewing gum wrappers so that your room looks a lot cleaner than it really is and will keep your mom from going nuclear. At night, it's a hideout for monsters whose job it is is to reach out and grab you, <laughs> unaware when you're totally defenseless. In the daytime, the closet is where you hang your clothes sometimes and you store your stuff, but at night, it's a doorway to an unknown, frightening kingdom where trolls rule and children are in danger. Of course, this imaginative theory turned out to be true in the animated movie Monsters, Inc. That proves that the closet door is just a world away from where the monsters live. For most of us, becoming adults hasn't necessarily cured us of our fear of the dark. Oh, we may have switched to beds where nothing could possibly get underneath them, and our closets may be a little bit bigger, even though they're never big enough. And they're filled with business suits and work clothes instead of building blocks and athletic gear. But at night, when the lights are out and the children are safely tucked into bed to wrestle with their fears, our own monsters come to life to torment us. What torments us in the dark of night as adults? Well, the monsters take the shape of questions. Like, am I a caring husband? Am I a loving wife? Do I really try to understand my spouse's point of view? Are we raising our children the right way? What about my parents? Am I doing all to make their later years as pleasant as they made my early years? Can I be sure my children aren't experimenting with drugs? When will life ever slow down? Why doesn't someone just invent a magic pill that'll make all these excess pounds I'm carrying around just disappear overnight and never come back? Why do I never seem satisfied anymore? Why did I do that thing? 
Why did they do that thing to me? Where's God in the midst of all this? Yes, in the light of day, we function pretty well through the messy maze of life, paying bills, getting family schedules coordinated, even managing once in a while to eat a high-fiber, low-carb meal. In the fear of our unknowns, the scary stuff is kept safely at arm's length, barricaded securely behind our busy work and our microwave dinners. But when our world slows down a little, when darkness falls, the fears creep back in. No, they don't. They rush in. They rush into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds, into our souls. And the torture begins again. Does it always have to be this way? Quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus said, The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And to those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. And there's something inside us that wants us to believe that if anything in life is true, this has got to be it. Something inside us wants us to believe that this is the only hope worth hanging on to. That here is a way out of this fearful mess that we've made of our lives. That somewhere, sometime, we believe that we have seen that light. We remember seeing it once upon a time, a long time ago. Now, if only we could find it again or maybe it could find us, then maybe the darkness wouldn't seem so overwhelming and ominous. That's what we need, isn't it? Light. Remember we said that in the light of day, our lives don't really look all that bad. We can manage. We'll be okay. It's only when darkness closes in around us. A loved one dies. Our spouse says, I don't love you anymore. Child says, sure, I smoke pot. Everybody's doing it. I don't really care what you think. And we become afraid all over again, just like when we were children. Only now it's not the monster under the bed or the troll in the closet. It's life itself that we've become afraid of. The darkness takes on so many different forms, and the light seems harder and harder to find, unless you know where to look. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. We wonder, is he talking about me? It'd be nice if he were talking about me. Could he be talking about me? Maybe. And then we begin to search for this light, hoping against hope, that will turn out to be more than just a flickering candle that looks pretty but gets snuffed out by the first strong breeze that comes along, kind of like when the acolyte light has to face the strong flow of the air conditioning every Sunday. You know, Jesus' first mission was to let us know that the light that God brought forth into the world in him was the true light, the only light that could not be overcome by the darkness or snuffed out by the winds of change. And in our encounter with this light, we meet God and begin to understand the depth of God's love for us. It's as if you're sitting on the beach early in the morning. The only colors you see before the dawn are these dark blues and blacks of the water and the sky, and occasionally some faint silver, which is, comes from the white caps on the breaking waves. You sit in the same place, not moving, and yet suddenly the colors begin to change a little. Your eyes are drawn to the horizon where the sky is changing right in front of you. First 
little crimson and then pink. And then suddenly there's this pale yellow at the back of the horizon. And then suddenly the sun bursts into the sky. It's a brand new day. Morning has broken. Color and light invade the shadowy world you are sitting in. The hazy shapes of darkness give way to clear impressions. And right there before your wondering eyes, a new day is born. Don't you know that the light of Jesus Christ, which is the love of Jesus Christ, is every bit as real as that sunrise? Hear the good news. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. And like new green plants which grow instinctively toward the sun, our exposure to the true light of Jesus calls us to grow toward him as well, to live in the warmth of his love, to learn who we are and how to use the gifts that God gave us so that we might catch people in order to transform the world around us, beginning with the transformation of ourselves into the kind of people God has called us to be. No longer do we have to remain in the darkness of our fears, our faults, and our failures. I remember once I was spending the night at my grandparents' house. I was sleeping all alone in a strange bed and being especially careful not to let any part of me hang over the edge of the bed. And I was awakened in the middle of the night by this strange noise. And I lay there, terrified, very still for what seemed like an eternity, listening for any other sounds of life or movement. The door to my room was closed, so the only light coming into the room was the moonlight streaming through the window. And as I've already mentioned, moonlight can be spooky for a child. I lay there for the longest time, waiting for the sound of my grandparents getting out of bed and moving around the house. Finally, at the breakfast table, I told them about my sleepless night, not about my fear of monsters, just sleepless night. My grandfather smiled, and he looked at me, and he said, Douglas, you don't have to lay there afraid, lying there in the dark all the time. You could have come into the living room and sat with me. I woke up early. Couldn't go back to sleep, so I got up and came in here to read. All you had to do was open the door, and you would have seen the light. Yeah. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And the writer of the Gospel of John says the darkness could not overcome it. There is no darkness in your life today that the true light, Jesus Christ, cannot overcome. Do you have that light in your life? Is it shining as brightly as it did when you first saw it? If not, let me assure you, it is not because the light has somehow gotten dimmer. But maybe you moved away from it, or you allowed something or somebody to get between you and the light. But the light of Christ still burns brightly, waiting to illumine even the darkest moments of your life, even the places where the scary things live. All you have to do is open the door and let the light in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? Almighty and everlasting God, Lord, we thank you for the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ. 
Lord, open our hearts anew this morning that we might receive that light into the places where we are scared and anxious and nervous. And help us also to be a reflection of that light out into the world. To help others not to fear, but to trust, to have faith, to recognize that Jesus can overcome the most difficult moments in our lives. He is a light to the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray.